Well, uh, over the next week or two, our uh, fun-loving Year 12s will certainly say goodbye to us. They'll prepare to make those lasting memories as they uh, depart from track. The, uh, the, the culmination of their 13 years of their schooling is going to be reflected in their final days of pranks, dressing up, playing games against staff, graduation assemblies, and of course, photos in their finery at the formal. There are going to be lots of moments where Year 12 are going to mark time at track, and then they're going to head out into the world to make their mark. Making their mark. That's the kind of question that they ask this time of year. What is their life going to be marked by? And that question is also one that emerges in the last stages of the book of Revelation. We're almost up to marking time in our series in the book, and today we're going to be talking 666, the mark of the beast, and all that stuff that the crazies on the dark web and TikTok love to theorise about. But we're also going to see today that as much as we might speak about setting out to make our mark, in many ways it's a myth that you get to make your mark. Instead, life in these last days is about being marked. And Revelation says it's either being marked by the beast or by the lamb. So we're going to move through four scenes today to see the lasting mark that they leave on us. Revelation 12 is where we're beginning, and it's all about a woman and her child and how both of them are relentlessly pursued by a multi-headed dragon. Now, the woman represents God's people, Israel, and the child that emerges from her womb is Jesus. And the dragon, well, he is the devil, and he is waiting to consume this child. He seeks to destroy him, but the child is then delivered up to heaven. And so the dragon pursues the child into heaven, and a cosmic battle breaks out where the devil is thrown down to earth. It's a wacky scene, and it describes the birth of Jesus, Satan's attempts on earth to destroy him before he can go and die on the cross for our sins, which he fails at. Then Jesus is rising to heaven, and Satan's attempts again to destroy him in heaven, which also fail for the devil. And so, like a brown snake that's been whacked by a shovel, the devil now rides in anger on the earth's floor and a voice from heaven declares, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. He knows his time is short. And so what does the devil do in these last days? Well, he's going to try and make his mark. And he's going to do that by attacking Christians. See, chapter 12 is all about taking in this big cosmic scope of history. And it's pretty simple. The devil attacks and the devil loses. He started by waging war on God in the Garden of Eden. 
then against Jesus on earth, then Jesus in heaven, and now Christians on earth, but his time is short. And so if he's going to make his mark, he's going to need some help. And so up on the screen there in Revelation 13, the devil dragon summons a beast. I've tried to make it out of bits and pieces of my kids' toys, but that's not a very good representation. Um, And here's how he's described. He has ten horns, seven heads. On its horns were ten crowns, and on its heads were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And the dragon gave the beast uh, his power, his throne, and great authority. One of its heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but its wound had been healed. This is a strange beast indeed. My AI image generator had a hard time using this passage to render accurate pictures of what this beast looked like. He's got seven heads, which you'll remember is God's number. Seven is God's number. He's covered in horns, which are a symbol of strength. But this beast works for the dragon, for the devil. And he's also got a wound on him that has also been healed, and he lives, which is like Jesus, the lamb that was slain but now lives. But this beast is clearly not Jesus. He's like wish Jesus. He's a a bad knockoff imitation Jesus. The problem is, people lap it up. They worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against him? Everyone falls under the spell of this Jesus wannabe. People worship the beast. They make images and statues of the beast. They're enslaved to him. People can't buy or sell unless they receive this mysterious mark of the beast on their right hand and on their forehead. So who is the beast? Well, at the end of chapter 13, we are told these words, which have confused people for centuries. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, because it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. Here is where a lot of people have become very, very confused. What does 666 mean? What does it refer to? Who does it refer to? Well, it's obviously part of the the loaded, coded language of Revelation. And I think we can probably tie 666 to a specific person in history. But that person was merely the current example of beastly behaviour when John wrote his uh, Revelation. And that same 666 figure, well, he plays out, or she plays out, again and again and again in history. Just like the four horsemen, just like the seven seals and the seven trumpets, they play over again and again. Now, Bible code breakers have worked out that 666 is what all the letters of Nero Caesar, who was the emperor at the time, all those letters add up to uh, 666 if you were to give each Hebrew letter in his name, a numerical value. It's a bit of a strange code. Now, that's a pretty good option. I mean, considering Emperor Nero was viewed as a god on the earth, and it's also most likely that he forced his followers to bear some kind of mark on themselves, maybe on their body or their clothes, as an act of worship to him. But also, if you do your maths, 666 is one off from 777, which is God's number. 
And again, that kind of adds to this idea of the, the beast posing as God and demanding to be worshipped like God. But the mark of the beast is not limited to following Nero. Now, the mark of the beast can be whatever marks you out as rejecting Jesus and not following him. See, when God describes his ways in the Old Testament, he tells his people to uh, fix these words, his Ten Commandments, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads. See, the mark of following Jesus will be that God's words are in your heart, they are in your head, and they are being obeyed with your hands. And those words are pretty simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. That's the mark of serving Jesus. But the mark of the beast is found on the forehead and on the hand and it is having an allegiance to something other than Jesus, who's the lion-hearted lamb. Now that mark might be a good thing, a good time, a good person. But as soon as that good has become your God well, then that's the mark of the beast that has power over you. As we draw near to marking time in Revelation, we come to a scene of the Lamb's kingdom rising up against the beasts. That's the best Lamb I could find. Um, this is another heavenly scene where the Lamb's kingdom of heaven arrives and angels declare the eternal gospel, the everlasting good news for those who have followed the Lamb and not the beast. An angel says in Revelation 14, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. See, the places where the beast and the dragon emerge from, from heaven, from earth, from the sea, those places do not belong to the dragon or the beast. They're going to lose possession of them because they belong to their maker, to God. And so then our final series of sevens plays out in the last chapter, and they are seven bowls. Seven bowls, which are called the last seven plagues on the earth. And they are similar to the seven trumpets from a couple of weeks ago, but there is one difference, because this time when these plagues of fire and darkness and blood are poured from the bowls, these bowls are full to the brim. And it's not just one-third of the earth that's hit this time. It's the whole globe, with fire, with darkness, and with blood. The fullness of God's revelation is here because it is time for the last battle. There is no severe mercy for the inhabitants of the earth this time. While John tells everyone who follows the Lamb to have patient endurance, Jesus the Lamb's patience has endured to its limit. It's time for him to make his last mark. And so the question for us as this final battle between the beast and the lamb approaches is, what is your mark? Are the works of your hands, the feelings that flow from your heart, the thoughts that emerge from your head, are they marked by the lamb or by the beast? The beast is a fraud. What he offers does not last. So don't let your life be marked by him. See, whether it's fitting in or trying to find yourself, whether it's seeking a feeling or being sought after by someone else, these things will not survive the full bowls of that last battle. They are all the beast's fakers, 
steering you away from the maker who for your sake sent the lamb as a saviour. See, whether in the cosmos, heaven, earth, wherever it is, the devil always attacks and the devil always loses. The only mark that will last is the mark of the lamb who was slain, but who now reigns in the earth and the heaven and the cosmos.